How's everyone doing tonight? Beautiful, good, awesome. I got water. Tonight is the fourth and final night of our four-part series. And if you guys have been paying attention, which I hope you have, it's been all about happiness, all four parts. It's bad to do a series and not have them have a central theme. It's not really a series. But ours is on happiness, and our entire theme of happiness has been based around the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah. If you want, you can actually open your Bibles up to Jonah. You can get that on open. I've said it before, and yet I'll say it tonight again. If you guys don't know much about Jonah, he was a prophet somewhere around 800 B.C. Um, We know that he actually is a real prophet. He's not just a story in the Bible. They talk about him in different times in the Bible. Uh, Rulers knew about him as a prophet. And as we looked at his life the past three weeks, and as tonight as well, we see the fact that Jonah is not really that happy of a man as we go through his, his story. We have been looking for the past three, we, we, three weeks, excuse me, we, we, in correspondence, in correspondence from his life to our happiness. We talked about his direction. We talked about his friends and relationships. We talked about his circumstances. And we looked at his life and then we paralleled it to ours. And tonight, we're going to finish the last one by looking a little farther towards the end of Jonah and the last part of what makes us happy and how our happiness is affected. If you have your Bibles open to Jonah, we're going to look um, right around Jonah 4. I have a question for you guys before we start. Have you ever seen somebody at a breaking point in their life? Yes? No? Seen someone at that point where you can tell the fact that one more thing and they're about ready just to snap? They've had it. There's no more. You see those people? Some of you might be maybe your mom or your dad when you know that you've been pushing their buttons all day and you can tell that there's, if there's one more thing you do wrong, they're just going to wig out and just start screaming at you. When I thought about this, the, the idea that came to my mind, but you, any of you guys have seen it, but it's an old, uh, old comedy called What About Bob? You guys seen it? And uh, in it, Richard Dreyfus is this very, very uh, mild-mannered psy- uh, psychiatrist and... Uh, Bill Murray, thank you. Bill Murray is this insane, uh, this insane patient of his. And as it goes through, uh, he finds him on vacation, and they have to spend time together. And you can tell it's just building and building and building. And it comes to this point where uh, he actually gets pulled over. And as he's getting pulled over and ticketed by a cop, uh, Bill Murray comes by, and he kind of like just says, kind of laughingly, he's like, "You know, police officer, could you have him home by five o'clock? He's like for dinner." And you can tell it's just where he snaps, and it's so good because he just loses it after the scene. And he comes back home, kicks in his own door, and they throw him a, a birthday surprise party. You can see his whole entire emotion change. And then as soon as he sees Bob, he lunges at him and starts choking him to death. And it's such a good scene because you see the fact that he continually through the movie keeps on building higher and higher and higher and then just breaks. He can't handle it anymore. And he just wants to kill Bob because he hates him so much for how he's ruining his life. So as we look at Jonah, we went through all the different things with him being called, him running away from God, him getting swallowed by a fish after he's thrown off of a boat, him getting spit back up, him going back to Nineveh and preaching God's word and having tons of people repent from what their sinfulness was. And that's really where we start is right after that. 
And to go with this, we need, really need to read the last verse in Jonah 3, which is Jonah 3.10. And it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So everything that Jonah had preached to the Ninevites, the time he had spent telling them about how God is going to destroy this place because of your wickedness, because they fell on their face and they asked for forgiveness before God, God said, you know what? No, I'm not going to destroy this place. And he lets them go. And this is really Jonah's breaking point. This is where he's had it. Because now Jonah's going to look like a fool, isn't he? He spent the last three days walking around telling everyone that this town's going to be destroyed. And instead of being happy, now he's angry because he's going to look like a fool. And we see this starting in Jonah 4. It says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I had said while I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? So Jonah's mad, because now he's going to look goofy. He just said that this evil generation was going to be destroyed. God says no, because they asked for forgiveness. They're not going to be. Probably a little bit of both. Jonah probably didn't really care for the Ninevites. He's not from there. He probably didn't like them, thought they were a dirty, you know, dirty area. Probably deserved to be punished by God. He'd spent all his time preaching it, and now he's going to look like a fool because it's not going to happen. So we see that he's just, he's really, it's just building up. He's so angry. God, I wish I could just die. He's saying this stuff. First of all, before we go any farther, this is a beautiful picture of how amazing and how compassionate our God is. So cool. Even before Jesus, which we know was being so beautiful and um, so forgiving, God himself is such a compassionate God. I was just reading the other day in Chronicles. Uh, when David had made a mistake, he ended up counting up his armies, and God didn't want him to do this. And God said, what you've done is evil, and you're going to be punished. And he gave him a choice. He said, either for three years you can have a famine, or for three months you can be laid to siege by your enemies, or for three days I'll come and lay a plague on your community. And David said, I don't want to fall into the hands of men. And he said, you come and you, you bring your plague. And God sends his angel to come down, and his angel starts to kill people through plague and starts to just, you know, all these, all these people. And it talks about how the angel comes across and how when he gets so far, God stops him because it just hurts for him to watch and see all these people die. He told David that he was going to kill all these people because of, his, because of his lack of faith and his sin. But still, when God sees all these people being punished, it breaks his heart. And he stops and he says, wait. And David falls on his face and says, you're right. He says, it's my fault. I'm the one who should be punished, not these people. And God stops the hand of the angel of death who's killing all these people. And he says, go out where he stopped and you sacrifice to me and it's over. Man, we see the fact that our God is so compassionate. Such an amazing God. But from this, we see Jonah's breaking point just building and building. Um, he's going to look like a fool. All the work he's done seems like it's in vain to him. And we see now it says in 5 that he went out and sat down in a place east of, the, east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. It says, Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for, for his head to ease his comfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. I like this because the whole thing we're talking about is happiness. 
And in this, God provides this cool, fast-growing vine that just grows up and it makes this nice little shade over top of Jonah's head. And he is very happy. Not just happy. NIV says very happy. He's ecstatic because he's got a nice vine to keep him shaded. And then this is really where we see the breaking point in the very next verse. And it says, But at dawn the next day God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah's reply, I think quite possibly one of the cockiest things I've seen a man say back to God. He says, I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. Wow. That's like breaking point, isn't it? He has all these things go back and forth with him. This awesome vine comes up, and he's so ecstatic, and then God takes it away. And he's so angry. He's like, I wish I could just die. And God says, do you even have a right? And he's like, yeah, I do. He yells that back at God. Man, this guy's at the breaking point. I mean, that's a, that's a whole new low of unhappy, isn't it? He's, I'd rather die because of this vine, because of a vine that I didn't help grow, that I didn't take care of, but it's gone now, and I just wish I could die. It says, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? What God said to him, God said the fact that you're so concerned over this tiny little thing you had nothing to do with, and then it was destroyed. And basically God just smacked him back and said, how can you possibly criticize me? for stopping the destruction of this place because of my love for them. So he kind of just spanks Jonah, doesn't he? It shows him the fact that you're concerned and you want to die over the fact of a stupid vine that grows up. What we really see here is we see in Jonah just this tremendous unhappiness. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight. Um, the title of tonight's message was, I am angry enough to die. And this is obviously the word straight from Jonah in this section. And what we're really talking about is kind of the straw that breaks the camel back, camel's back, um, kind of an unhappiness that goes beyond what we had been talking about so far. I like on our, on our handout card that we had, we have all the different ones, and on this fourth message, what it literally says is the first three messages didn't work, something's still wrong. What I'm talking about is, is a kind of happiness that seems like it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm still just unhappy. There's something wrong deep down inside. There's a kind of hurt, a kind of unhappiness that I don't even understand right now, but it's inside of me. That's what we're talking about tonight. This is more than just normal unhappiness. This might be a continued, a long-term, or this could really be something that just happened recently. But it's an unhappiness that seems way too heavy to be carried by yourself. When you feel it, it feels like there's no way that you can carry it. It just seems kind of scary to have to handle this much. It's also a really, really deep pain. And I see this pain in, uh, in Proverbs 15, 13, which I want to read to you. It says, a happy heart makes a face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. That's the kind of pain I'm talking about, where it seems like it's just crushing you because it hurts so bad. Like Jonah, oftentimes when this kind of pain is associated, it seems like it might just be easier just to die, like he says. He doesn't even want to live. He'd rather just move on. Now, obviously, we're talking about a lot of people in this world, and what we're going to kind of address it as tonight is what a lot of people would call depression. That's probably the most common name for this type of, this type of unhappiness, an unhappiness that goes beyond 
normal. Most people would call this depression. And it's something that's becoming extremely visible in our culture today, wouldn't you say? More and more depression seems like it's extremely common. People talk about it day in, day out. Um, it says right now that every year on statistics, about 9.5% of the U.S. population is suffering from a depression disorder. So every year, about 10% of the population across the United States is suffering from a real depression disorder. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. I mean, in all of the United States. It says that um, also with new studies taken in Australia just recently show that scientists believe that every single person will be affected by depression inside of their life, whether by themselves or whether by a family member around them. That depression is rampant enough that almost every single person in the world will experience some form of pain, trouble, anxiety from depression, whether from friends or from yourself, before they die. Pretty wild. Most people who suffer from depression actually, um, they don't really know what to do about it. That's why it's so hard. They feel helpless. They feel like sometimes there's nothing I really can do about it. It's just something that I'm going to have to deal with. But a lot of times as they try to deal with this, they realize that they can't handle it themselves. There's something more. There's something bigger than themselves that they can't take care of. I did some online research about depression. And... Uh, I have some characteristics for you you can listen to. These are characteristics of depression. And I want you to listen to them. See if any of them sound familiar uh, as I read through them. First, you feel miserable and sad. You feel exhausted a lot of time with no energy. You feel as if even the smallest tasks are sometimes impossible. You seldom enjoy the things that you used to enjoy. Um, you may now no longer eat, or you may eat too much. You feel very anxious sometimes. You don't want to see people or are scared to be left alone. Social activity may feel hard or impossible. You find it difficult to think clearly. You feel like a failure, or you feel guilty a lot of the time. Um, you feel like you're a burden to people around you. Sometimes you feel like life just isn't worth living. Uh, a lot of times you can see no future. Uh, there's just a loss of hope. You feel that all you've ever done is make mistakes, and all you're ever going to do is make more mistakes. You feel irritable, angry, even more than usual. Um, you feel that you have no confidence. You spend a lot of time thinking about uh, what has gone wrong, what will go wrong, and what's wrong about yourself as a person. You may also feel guilty sometimes about being critical of others, or you may just be really critical of others. You feel that life is unfair. You have difficulty sleeping or wake up early in the morning and can't sleep again. You may have dreams uh, most of the night and sometimes very disturbing dreams. You feel that life has or is passing you by. And you may actually have physical aches and pains which appear to have no physical cause, such as back pain, because of depression. These are common things that they say people have um, take place inside of them when they're really dealing with depression. Now, probably as I read some of these, a lot of you are saying, well, some of those really fit me. It's okay if some of those fit you. I'm not saying that you're depressed. But if you look down that line and you feel the fact that, wow, a lot of those really express who I am right now, I'm saying that you might need to really look at it and see if you are dealing with this because it's a serious issue. 
all of us probably have a couple things that go with these. But if you find a lot that sound familiar, you might be dealing with depression. And, but that's okay. That's why I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be scared about that. So I looked up on the internet what the world says about depression. What the world says you can do about it. Uh, a lot of it, I think, is garbage. I really do. Pretty lame. But some things that I read, I actually really agreed with. I found this one site that I was reading, and as I read it, I really found myself agreeing with almost everything they said. Um, and something's really, really interesting is going to happen right here. Okay, I'm going to take and use a secular viewpoint, and it's going to take and tell you that where you're at right now is perfectly, it's exactly what they're asking for. Secular always says that Christians, we're crazy, that we do stuff wrong, right? But I looked at these sites, and they have this common theme that runs through them. And if you actually paste them together, where you're sitting tonight in steadfast in church fits almost exactly with what they tell you a person who's depressed needs. That's pretty wild. The secular viewpoint is telling you that really where you're at right now, if you could describe this place, is almost exactly what you need. I'll tell you what these are. These are three big things that they say are really important to someone who's dealing with depression and how they fit in with us. The first thing is that they say that a person who's dealing with depression needs somewhere that's trauma-free, somewhere where they find support, an environment of people, an environment just where they feel like they're not going to be run down. Well, that's really what we try to do here in Steadfast, what we try to do as this church. We try to be a place that uh, you can come in, you can feel supported, you don't have to feel like an outcast no matter who you are, doesn't matter what you do, who you are, where you came from, we're all really at an even playing field. And uh, all of us try to support each other in, in what our passions are, in what our loves are, no matter how different they are. The second thing that they talk about is really, really good friendships. And what this means is, is kind of what we had talked about, if you guys were here or if you listened to the podcast. Not just shallow friendships, but people who really care about you. People who actually want to see you grow want to see you do better, want to see you be healthy. We talked about finding friends where you don't mind if you rub off on each other a little bit, where you get some of their qualities and they get some of yours. Real friendship. And that's what we try to do here in Steadfast. We try to show people um, love, unconditional love, temptation teams where you get to meet people and get to get close to them and get to hear some stuff where they wouldn't even probably share this with parents or people who are related to them, family, but they're going to share it with you because you're their friend and they know that you can, they can trust you. And then the third thing, which is probably what we're going to focus on for the rest of the night, is they say that you should, you should foster your spiritual beliefs if you're dealing with depression. And that's exactly what this place is all about. It's about finding what you believe and then looking openly what you think at the Bible, at a source of truth, and deciding what it is you believe and how God wants to influence you in your life while becoming serious about, about what your beliefs are. They say this is extremely important for someone who's dealing with depression because they need to understand the fact that there's something bigger than just their problems right now. That's exactly what we deal with every single week when we talk about it. We talk about something bigger than us, God, and what he has for us. During the series, we talked about his plans for us that they're bigger than ours. And this is really, really important for someone who's dealing with this depression and extreme unhappiness.
So where you're sitting right now, if you feel like some of those apply to you, you feel like you're dealing with this, uh, an extreme amount of unhappiness, you're sitting in the exact right, pra- right place. There isn't anywhere else, even according to what the internet and what a bunch of scientists say, that you're in the right place right now. So stay here. When I look at depression, I really see something that goes a lot with the last of those qualities, with fostering your spiritual beliefs. What I mean by this is that when I look at depression, I see an overwhelming spiritual side with it. A lot of people look at the physical. They look at the problems that I'm dealing with, um, a chemical imbalance in my head, uh, problems with my family. There's, there's things like this that do really support depression. But when I look at it, a lot of times I see a very, very spiritual side to this battle, to this pain. I really do believe that a lot of people who are diagnosed with depression, a lot of people who undergo psychiatric treatment and all these things, if they honestly started to think about their faith, I think a lot of them could be helped out, could maybe even be healed. Now, I'm not saying that I'm one of those people who don't believe in medicine, I don't believe in stuff like that, I don't believe that, you know, you're wrong for getting a flu shot because, you know, God's going to take care of you. I don't think it's wrong to get help if you really, really suffer with depression. There's sometimes where literally it's a physical problem in your body where you need to have help, medication to help straighten out emotional problems, you know, physically things with you. I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. I believe God gives us knowledge, gives us doctors, makes us smart so we can figure out things to keep our bodies working the best they can. What I'm saying is the fact that a lot of times I believe these spiritual problems are the center of this. I've told you before, when we talked in the series, and even before that, that God's plan for our lives is an amazing one. It's better than anything we could possibly create ourselves. It's something so much cooler, so much more awesome, so much more exciting than we could possibly create ourselves. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to be warriors. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to be really, really strong. We see this throughout the Word as we look at it. Jeremiah 29.11, which we, we used before, one of my favorite verses, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God's plan is for you to have a life that's full of Him and a life that's lived to the fullest. That's what God's plan is for you. But depression... And the things that come with it are in complete disagreement with what God's plan is for your life. And that's why I see the fact that it's a spiritual thing. When you look at the things that come with depression, man, it goes exactly in the face of what God has for you. When we really follow God, they talk about something in the Bible called the fruits of the Spirit. And this is when you're really following God and you have the Spirit inside you. There's things that says that you're going to have that really show the fact that you're, you're right with God. And it's in Galatians 5. If you guys want to look at it, Galatians 5, starting in 22, and it says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This beautiful list of what a relationship with God and a life in the Spirit of God is going to provide in our lives. These qualities are so important. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as I just read you this list, which was just off a little, a small website, nothing nothing amazing, you know, it was just a, a local website or something like that about depression. 
as I read through those things, I can see exact opposites of, of what the, the fruits of the Spirit are. Instead of love, they talk about a fact of not wanting to see people and not wanting to be part of a community. Instead of joy, they talk about feeling miserable. Instead of peace, they talk about finding it difficult to think or concentrate at all. Instead of patience, they talk about the fact that huge, I mean, uh, small things seem huge. Instead of kindness, it talks about being critical to others. Instead of goodness, it talks about feeling guilty for mistakes. Instead of faithfulness, life seems unfair and you lose hope in what you were holding on to. Instead of gentleness, you're irritable. And instead of self-control, your eating and your sleeping becomes irregular. Just those things that I listed off from this list, every single one of them is the exact opposite when you look at them of what the fruits of the Spirit is. What God wants for you and then what depression brings are exact opposites. And when I look at that, what I see is a spiritual opposition. I see a tool from Satan to keep people from not getting in line with what God wants for their life, his amazing plan for their life. The fact that depression is a tool used by Satan to keep people down and to keep people hurt. It's something that he's going to use to try to keep you from being victorious. And I think that when Satan puts us in, into this depressed state, it makes it harder for us to obviously come to know Jesus Christ, to come into a better relationship with him. You guys remember the story of Job? If you want to turn to it, um, I'm going to read to you real fast Job 7. We had talked about with circumstances the fact that, man, Job had everything taken away. He was a rich man. And Satan had come and said, this Job, after God has basically bragged on him, said, this is an amazing man, he loves me. Satan said, well, if you know what, if you let me take away the stuff that you've given him, he wouldn't love you anymore. He'd turn his back on you. And God says, you know what, I know my, I know my son Job. You can take away everything, but you don't kill him, and he's still going to love me. And this is really what we see is Job falling into the hands of Satan. Because God lets him for this period of time. He lets Satan take away everything he has and really torment this man. And in, in 7, I want to start reading this for you. You see this, this anguish and this depression. It says, in, says starting in 7.1, Does not man have hard service on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man, like a slave longing for the evening shadows, or a hired man waiting eagerly for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss till dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O oh God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who, gave, who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. You see a deep pain in Job's voice, don't you? He talks about the fact, I mean, a painful verse when he says in 7, my eyes will never see happiness again as he thinks about his life. That's just not a normal type of happiness. This is a deep depression. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. The reason why Job was feeling this is because Satan was allowed to come into his life and was allowed to take everything away and really put this on him. And Job had to struggle with this. 
And this is exactly what I'm talking about when people feel this depression, that I believe a lot of times it's a tool from Satan. Satan will try to tell you that these feelings are going to be forever. He's trying to tell you the fact that you're never going to get out and that this is going to be your life forever. That's what he wants you to think when you feel these problems. He'll even sometimes take you to the place of thinking that it'd be better just to end your life altogether. Jonah said it. Job said it here. He talked about the fact that it'd be better if I was just dead. I wouldn't have to deal with this. And actually, nearly 15% of all people who are depressed end up taking their own lives or committing suicide. That's a horrifying statistic. These are simply poor souls that fell into Satan's trap as they had to deal with this, that they couldn't get out of what Satan was putting into their mind. The fact that it's never going to get better. The fact that this is going to be the rest of your life. And it seems easier just to take your own life and get done with it. I have to tell you, whether or not you care about God, whether or not you care about tonight, whether or not you care about what I'm going to say the rest of the night, I tell you this, if you're struggling with depression, don't ever think that taking your life is going to cure it. I've seen pain and I've seen heartache from this. I've had friends whose sisters have taken their own lives because they were pregnant and they didn't have a father for their baby. I had a friend in high school, I mean in in middle school, whose older sister ended up killing herself, hanging herself because of this. And if, if you can see the pain that happens on families' hearts, if you can see the pain that accompanies it, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And if ever, I mean, honestly, if you get nothing else from the message, if you're dealing with this, don't ever believe Satan's lies that it's never going to get better. Because it is. I promise you that. Don't ever think about taking your life. It's such a drastic means, and it's, it's so heartbreaking to those around you. I tell you this, is that no matter what, there's always hope. There's always hope for something better. Times are not going to be able to be hard forever. Sooner or later, they're going to get better. Sooner or later, they have to get better. There's a hope. There's a hope that the Bible talks about. And it's the only time in Scripture that sorrow is mentioned in a good light. Tons and tons of times we see sorrow accompanied to something that's bad. And one time in Scripture, it talks about sorrow being a good thing. And it's in 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians seven ten through 11 says, Godly sorrow, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. The one time in Scripture it says the fact that sorrow is a good thing is sorrow for your sin and actually coming to salvation. Godly sorrow. The hope that you're talking about is Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. You may be feeling in your life that everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. Nothing is going to go right. No one loves me. No one cares for me. But the Bible talks about a long time ago the fact that God sent his only son, John 3.16. It says that he sent his only son here to earth to die on a cross so that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life and you can go to heaven and spend it with him. He talks about a beautiful end to your life. He talks about even when everything goes bad. Think about this. Even when everything seems horrible in your life, the fact that there's a beautiful gold ring at the end of it. I believe the fact that 
if you give your life to Jesus Christ, if you take and you ask him to become the Lord of your life and come into your heart, I believe the fact that Jesus Christ can help you with these feelings, that he can take away some of this pain. And I know for the fact that if you actually give your life to him, that your life is going to completely change. It didn't mind. It's not going to be the same anymore. If we give our lives to Jesus as our Lord, I know that he can conquer the things that Satan has put in our head, which I believe a lot of times is this depression. I think it comes from Satan. And if you actually ask Jesus to be your Lord, I believe that he can take it away. There's a verse, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And what it does is it talks about the fact of Jesus' death and how amazingly powerful it is. It says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to to Christ's cross. In this way, God shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. What he's saying is the fact that everything that everything that Satan had thrown against you, when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered. He beat, he shamed Satan because every single thing that he can put on you, all this pain, all this hurt, Jesus' blood is so much more powerful that it can just demolish all of that. It can take away all the pain. It can take away all the hurt. It means the fact that if you struggle with sin to the very day you die, that when you die, Jesus' blood is more powerful than that. It means that if I continue in a sin for the whole rest of my life fighting it, and I can never conquer it, Christ's blood is sufficient that when I die, Satan loses, and I get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. That's how powerful God's blood is, how Jesus' blood is. I believe that when you give your life to Christ, he's going to want you to have these fruits of the Spirit. That's why I believe that these other feelings are going to go away. When you give your life to Christ, I believe the fact that he's going to bring these fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you have these, you can't have the other ones that we talked about with depression. And I think God will push those out of your life because he wants you to have these. Like I said in Jeremiah 29:11, he has a beautiful plan for your life, a plan to make you strong and a plan to have you move forward and have a future. And I do believe the fact that God likes to make us happy. I do believe the fact that God gives us joy. It says in Psalm 19.8, The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. It says God's commands make you happy. That's what it says. It says that following God's commands make you happy. And I can testify to that. It's been a slow process in my life, but as I've slowly given more and more of my life to Jesus Christ, And as I've let him take more and more control over my life, it hasn't become harder, but it's become funner, it's become happier. My life's become more fulfilled when I let him take care of stuff, and I don't worry about it. I really believe the fact that Jesus wants to take and turn this tide of depression in everybody. He doesn't want this for us. So if you're dealing with these these feelings of depression tonight, and you want Jesus to take away these pains, what you have to do is you have to accept him as your Lord. You can ask him to help you, but what really the first step is is asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and become your Lord and your Savior, the one who you're going to live for, the one who you're going to turn your life to. Then you can ask Jesus Christ to take away this, take away this pain, to help you with it. 
If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, I encourage you to do it tonight if you're dealing with these problems. Even if they don't seem as severe, but you realize the fact that I can't get over these on my own. And that's the truth. A lot of times we can't. We need something bigger than ourselves, like Christ. And if tonight you say, I'm a saved Christian, but I'm still dealing with these things in my life, and there's two things. One, maybe you actually do need to see someone about depression. Maybe there's a physical problem. Like I said, I'm not going to rule that out still, because some people do need physical help with it too. But two, what I really want to say is I'm going to take you right back to what the, the uh, psychologist said about this page. They said, just like, um, just like the people who are getting saved tonight, you might need to work on those very first three things that I talked about. You might need to work on being part of a trauma-free and accepting environment, having good friendships, and fostering your spiritual beliefs. Even if you're saved and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're not making those three things really a priority in your life. Maybe you're not spending time getting to a place like church where you know you're accepted and where people are, uh, people are loving and it's a trauma-free zone. Maybe you're not spending time to actually making good friendships where you can be open and you can let your heart open to someone. And maybe you're not really spending enough time fostering your spiritual beliefs, reading your Bible and praying and asking God what he wants for your life. So whether or not you are a Christian and you need help from this, or whether or not you've never known Jesus Christ and you realize the fact that you need him to help you to conquer this, I ask you guys tonight to take a stand and actually do something about it. I want to tell you the fact that I believe Jesus Christ and his blood is powerful enough to stop even that growing vine and that worm from destroying it in your life, that breaking point, that after that, you can still take and you can be happy. Even past all the hurt and past all the pain, to that crazy point like Jonah was at, the fact that Jesus can bring you back to a place of being happy. I want to pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you for tonight. And I do pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you just work on our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray to you that you would just open us up that you would let us realize that if we're feeling this pain, that there's nothing shameful about that, there's nothing wrong about that, but that we have to do something about it. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you just work on our hearts and you'd let us see the fact that you don't want us to have these, these unhappy feelings. You don't want us to be depressed and to be sad. But Lord God, you want to give us so many beautiful things in our life. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you just work on us, Lord. If we don't know you, if people here don't know you, Jesus Christ, I pray to you, you just work on their hearts that they ask you to come into their heart and become their Savior, Jesus. And people who are Christians, Lord, who are dealing with this, I pray to you that you can be their comfort, Lord God. They can draw closer to you. And Lord, that they can realize um, just your amazing plan for them. Lord, I know that your plan for us is a great one, that you have a future for us, and that you do, Lord, you do want us to be happy. It's in your precious name that I pray tonight. Amen. I want you guys to still just stay here for a little while. A lot of times we don't really do a time after the message. What I want you guys to do is I do want you to just sit for a little bit. I want you to ask God um, what he wants you to do in response to this message. I'm going to be up here for a little bit. If you guys have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you realize tonight that that's what the answer is, is that you need something bigger than yourself to conquer this problem, I'll be up here if you want to pray with me. If you're a Christian and you realize the fact that maybe you, you really need to do something about the feelings you're having, 
you can come on up and you can find a place. Whether you want to pray with me, I'll be up here. Or whether you want to come up and you just want to kneel down and you want to get closer to God, whatever you want to do. But I ask you guys just to sit and wait upon God for a little while.